Welcome to episode three of season six of the Growing Empire show. I'm back with Dave Rowan from Rowan Financial and Jeremy Moyer. And we're here to continue from last week's episode regarding the evolution of the real estate investor. So stay tuned. Welcome to Growing Empires, hosted by real estate entrepreneur and trusted investment advisor, Jennifer DeJesus. Growing Empires provides insight to building wealth through passive income-producing real estate investments for those who want to build and manage a more profitable real estate portfolio. So let's talk now about going the opposite direction. So let's say you own properties, you have your home that you're living in, you're not interested in vacation homes, but you want to buy your first investment property with a commercial loan. What should somebody looking into this expect to be their experience? Sure. So the I would say one of the biggest changes is the, the cost of capital is going to be more expensive just with your interest rates um, typically are, are a little higher to the amount of money that you would need to bring into the the asset, uh, put down on the assets um, is typically higher. Banks want you to have a little bit more skin in the game in that regard. And then also the amortization, which is how long you can borrow that money for, um, you know, traditional conventional loans are typically 30 years. You know, most commercial loans, at least first starting out, um, are going to be 20. Um, sometimes you can get 25, uh, but 20 is more prevalent, which means it shortens your, your time period to pay that, that money back, that loan back. And coupled with a higher interest rate, your debt service payment is going to increase. So those are important things to factors. Do you have that capital to put down? Sometimes banks, especially during the, the COVID uh, pandemic, um, you know, certain banks and situations, especially if you were a new borrower, wants to see extra reserves, you know, those principal and interest payments, they might ask to have those reserves actually in escrow at time of closing. So that's more money out of your pocket. And then just your cash flow calculation, um, just your simple uh, income coming in versus your expenses going out in factoring in a higher debt service payment, you need to make sure you have enough money left over for positive cash flow. So I think that's some of the biggest distinctions. I don't know, Dave, do you want to speak to that at all? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll jump in with a couple of points. That was fabulous, Jeremy. And, um, and that's actually, Jeremy talked about, you know, complementary strengths. This is a huge strength for, for Jeremy. And I rely on his advice in this area in terms of, all of the ways you can look at financing properties. I guess I'll just look at it from the nuts and bolts standpoint. And, you know, one is leave plenty of time for underwriting. Uh, It it can take time to both gather all of the information as well as um, have the bank approve it. So that's absolutely the case. I think two, again, is looking at both halves of the equation how well am I going to do on this property versus what is the bank going to approve? You know, I think we're currently using a a debt coverage ratio of 1.2 to feel good about the bank um, approving us for the loan. And just, you know, simple definition of debt coverage ratio is you are looking at the amount of income that the property is generating and you have to actually make sure you subtract vacancy. Um, That's, that's important. Um, along with making sure that you add all of the other expenses to get to your final income on the property. So it's the ratio of that income over the debt service. And, you know, it, it cuts both ways. The more 
income that you can show on the property that helps the the top half of that equation or the the lower the debt service is going to be, whether that's in the form of interest rate or um, in terms of the amortization term that helps the lower half of that equation. I also want to say, you know, um, I was not aware of this when, even after I signed the mortgage, because you typically don't read every every single word. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't yeah, read I, like 50 pages, Jeremy? Not, really? I know. I know. Um, <laughs> have an attorney do it. No. Uh, so <laughs> the one important factor, especially if you, you typically don't know how long you're going to hold the property for, you know, but be mindful of any prepayment penalties. Um, you know, ah, those can yes. get you. Um, you know, Typically, banks will have some. Some banks don't, but they might. They might not have them for repeat borrowers that they've worked with, you know, for a number of years. So, if you're new, first time, second time buying, especially with a commercial loan, please, please look at that because that could catch you by surprise when you take the sell property two or three years later if the market went up and you want to capture that appreciation. Yeah, absolutely. Let's elaborate a little bit on what somebody should expect regarding down payment, interest rates, how they differ a little bit from the conventional type of mortgage. So can you give some examples? Like what should somebody expect as far as a down payment for a commercial loan? What have you been seeing out there? Sure. Currently in the market, I'm seeing anywhere from 25 to 35% down. It all depends on the asset that you're buying. If you're buying a single family rental, they might ask for more. And if you're buying, you know, a 20 unit apartment building that maybe doesn't have as much value add, or maybe it's, it's, it's rather established, they might, you might be able to get more favorable terms. And then also, I think it's the experience of the operator yourself. Um, if you're, if you're new and they see that um, this is your first or second property, they might request more skin in the game uh, versus your more established, you know, that you might be able to negotiate, you know, some better terms. In interest rates, we're seeing anywhere from four and a quarter to four and a half right now. Those fluctuate, obviously, with the uh, the market, uh, but that's currently where it is. Yeah, I have seen as low as 20% down, mm. um, but that's very unusual to get. You yeah. have to be very well capitalized, yeah. have good relationships with the bank. Certainly not something for an inexperienced investor, but... Once you have some experience in your belt or you're you're active in the local market, you can get as low as 20%, but it's a little bit more challenging to get. So I agree with you. Usually between 25 and 35 is what I've been seeing. Interest rates, of course, I agree with you as well. I am finding so, that um, – go ahead, Dave. What were you going to say? Yeah, just a quick point here, which J- Jeremy talked about the value of partnerships in terms of complementary skill sets. This is another area which, um, again, if you're so inclined to invest with others, you know, when you need to come up with that 25% and you're in a partnership with two other people, you're only needing to come up with a third of that. And so it's great from a, a stretching your cash standpoint. It's also great from a diversification standpoint. So now instead of one property, I can buy three. And if something goes sideways on one and, you know, my calculations of how it was going to run prove to be wrong or you get caught with some major maintenance that was unexpected, um, you have the other two properties in the mix to offset that. So just another really good. um, And again, partnerships are not right for everybody. You know, some people, many people do quite well uh, by themselves or as a couple. 
as real estate investors. But this is another great reason to, to be in a partnership. Yeah, I completely agree with you. There's definitely strengths in numbers, but I've also watched partnerships fall apart, you know, because they didn't have similar investing ideas, you know. So if you're going to enter into a partnership, you just got to make sure, like you guys said before, somebody has to complement your strengths and weaknesses, right? You have to complement each other and your ideas about investing should align very well, as well as the time that you're going to hold the property, you know, what your long-term, short-term and long-term goals would be. Those could be the things where partnerships get a little rocky if they're not in line. Jen, that's such a good point. And, you know, and this, this sounds really um, mean, but (laughs) (laughs) if you're considering forming a partnership, the first thing you should decide among group members is under what terms would we dissolve the partnership? Yeah. Um, And if you can't even finish that conversation, you may as well stop right there. Yeah. So such a good point, Jen. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just like I said before about landlord friendly states, right? It's all good until it's not good. Mm -hmm. So you actually need to enter into, I think personally, at least I do, I enter into a lot of business decisions thinking about the worst case scenario. And what I would do in the event of that, right? And if I can stomach that, then I know that we're in a good path, right? But if I can't stomach that, I know that it's probably not the best decision. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing with commercial loans is, you know, and tell me if you agree or disagree with me, but I have found that when you go from a conventional loan to a commercial mortgage, what the banks are looking at changes drastically, My experience has been commercial lenders look strictly at the building and the numbers, not you as the borrower per se. Whereas in the conventional world, it's still heavily reliant on you and your assets and your income. Do you guys agree with that or disagree with that? Yeah, I I do agree with that. I think the larger the asset, the more that they do look at the building alone, especially if there's a lot more units. For sure. Those leases. You know, if you're looking at four or five, I mean, let's say commercial, let's, let's, let's go five, six units, you know, they still might look at, um, it depends what banks you're working with, um, but they still might look at your personal financial statements. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. Make sure that they have strong borrowers. But yet I do agree that they do, they do primarily look at the asset. They want to make sure that the asset can pay for itself. Um, they want to see the leases in place, which kind of goes to the, you know, the, I think the common acronym, the Burr method, which is, you know, you buy, you rehab, you rent, you refinance and you repeat, you know, that refinance, the bank loan comes after the renting for a reason. Um, they want to see that you have income coming in that can support the debt that they're going to lend you. Going to what Dave was describing earlier was the debt service coverage ratio, which the banks want to see a surplus of income that can support the building and the debt that you're borrowing from them. Well, just going back to to a point that Jeremy made earlier on prepayment penalties, you know, let's say you're buying a building and this is such a great model, a lot of deferred maintenance and below market rents in there and you end up doing the maintenance, increasing the rents. And now the bank is going to look at that building much more differently and you may have the opportunity to refinance it, pull out some cash from the building but again, if the prepayment penalties are there, that, that's a problem. So just another good reason to look at that so that you, if you do do that, you can recapture that possible benefit. 
The episode will continue in just a moment. The best investments with the highest potential for a solid return always start with the right real estate purchase. But it's not just about a flip's potential margin or how fast you can ready a property for leasing. It's about creating a future of financial stability for yourself and for your family, one that supports the lifestyle that you want. If you're an active investor and purchase, renovate, and lease your own properties, and you love the process, the chase, and the returns, you're in the right place listening to the show, especially this season, because we're talking about a deep dive into how to purchase the best property for you. However, if you're more of a passive investor and one who wants to diversify your stock portfolio with real estate, but you don't want to get involved in the active management of those properties, you're also in the right place as we serve both types of investors. To gauge where your real estate investment tolerance sits and what would be the best fit to grow your income with real estate, I invite you on a call with me. To book your call, visit growingempires.com and click book a consult. That's G-R-O-W-I-N-G-E-M-P-I-R-E-S.com and I'll help you choose the best real estate model to help you achieve your real estate investment goals. Let's get a little bit more into doing the math. So we were talking a little bit about debt service coverage ratio. What other factors do you guys use when you are analyzing properties? Do you focus at all on cap rate? I'll just answer that for me. Um, And it's probably because I'm a financial advisor. I like to look at cash on cash. That to me is more of an apples to apples comparison of this investment versus investing in a stock or a bond or a REIT or some other traditional investment product. And so, you know, if if I have a building that's potentially generating 15 to 20% cash on cash, boy, I really like that as an asset, particularly mm-hmm. that the that the stock market is is extremely overvalued right now. And I think it would be very difficult to achieve those kinds of returns going forward. So, and hand in hand with that, it's, it's basically the same calculation, but it's stated a different way is I also like to look at payback period. When am I getting all of my cash back? Because I need my cash to invest in, in another, another piece of real estate. Um, I, you know, cap rate is, is fine. It, it's useful, for example, um, when, when comparing, you know, deals that you're looking at out there in relative terms. But, you know, I like some of those other less, less common metrics to the real estate industry. Jeremy, I don't know what your point of view is. Yeah, I, I think cap rate, it's a snapshot in time of what a building is. I mean, a, a building could be a five cap today and it could be a 10 cap a year from now. Because basically cap rate is looking at your your net operating income. So how much income you bring in minus your operating expenses. So it's a snapshot of what's going on right now. That, that there could be a lot of vacancy in the building. Um, your cap rate effectively would be lower. You could have a ton of expenses or rents could be under market. You know, it's that seesaw relationship of income and expenses that drive the cap rate. Um, and on what you might buy it at, like Dave and I were looking and our other partner were looking at a building that, you know, uh, we're looking at a building last week, it was an eight unit and the cap rate was just under six, you know, thinking that's, it's crazy, you know, where, you know, and traditionally buildings are selling, you know, in the, the eights in this area, but it wasn't, that didn't scare us was looking at a cap rate so low. It was what could we do to that building 
to make it a worthwhile investment long term. And, you know, the the details of um, the specific investment was the um, rents were severely under market, you know, probably by 40 percent. You know, expenses seemed um, a little high, you know, so at the current price we were buying at, sure, it was a it didn't look very stellar. But the the more you run these numbers, I mean, it's going to take a couple of years to, to reposition it, uh, but it would be a stronger investment, a higher cap rate down the road. Uh, so it's I think it's all relative. You, you need to be aware of of what cap rate is, I believe, just so you, you know it and you're factoring it. Uh, but I don't think it's, as Dave was saying, it's not the, the all be all, the only thing you go off of. It's just one metric within your underwriting. Yeah, that's that's a, a great point because it is. It's uh, Unfortunately, I experienced some investors that are very much tunnel vision. And, you know, because they heard a podcast or listened to something where, you know, cap rate was talked about as the only metric, they truly live by that. And it's the only metric. Um, but I agree with both of you and, and Dave, you know, with your cash on cash method, you know, and how quickly you're going to get that money back. So, so let's talk about that a little bit more because I think that makes a lot of sense, right? It's the amount of money that's left in the deal on a related note, your payback period. Let's, Dave, why don't you elaborate a little bit more on your payback period? How are you analyzing that? And in your mind, what makes a good payback period? Are you looking at a couple of years? Is it specific to the investment? Is it you know specific to the partnership or how are you analyzing that? Yeah, so I'd say a good payback period is, at least for me in real estate, is is anything less than five years. Because again, just looking at that cash on cash relative to other, you know, if I'm if I'm going to invest money in a stock, and I spend a hundred dollars on that stock, would I be happy five years from now if it was worth two hundred dollars, which is essentially the same thing as as a payback period. Um, and the answer is yes, I'd, I'd be very happy with that. And so, you know, that's, that's one piece of the equation. I, I do think another piece of the equation that you have to look at and, and it's kind of where it gets complicated is you have a lot of moving pieces. So you have the moving piece of the planned maintenance that you intend to do on the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going in and or any any renovation you have the planned increases in rent that you intend to command on that basis and in particular right now something uh, as landlords that we all have to be cognizant of not not from a dollars and cents standpoint but just from a, a basic uh, caring standpoint is you can't plan to just evict a bunch of people out of a building right now and uh, and shut it down. There, Good point. There, yeah, for for renovations. So you know, this these are these are strange times we're living in right now, <clears throat> and um, it's just not appropriate from a, a humanitarian standpoint. We'll call it that. And then the third piece again to look at is: Are you going to refinance the property at any time within those five years and pull some of that cash out? What can you expect in terms of the rate of um, appreciation of the building? Because that will factor into that refinance equation. 
what can you expect in terms of um, increase in rents over time, not just initially? So, you know, you can go down a real rabbit hole with the equation uh, or with the calculation, but it's, it's, it's important. And this is why I'll go back to your point, Jen, um, calculating a simple cap rate is, it's a good start. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a good start. Um, But to really dig into what's going on with this property, say just over a five-year period, um, much more valuable way is just looking at cash flows. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you for listening to part two segment with Dave Rowan and Jeremy Moyer. We will be back next week for our last segment. And until next time, take care. For more information about how Jennifer can help you plan, develop, and manage a strong real estate investment portfolio, visit growingempires.com.